Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Why won't historians speak out about the 1619 Project? We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act local. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. But if you want to get a great deal on my newest class, Reading George Washington, you can get $70 off by using the coupon code WASHINGTON, but only during July 2023. So go ahead and use that coupon code. Get the class for $70 off. It's the lowest price you'll ever get it. And it's an awesome class. you got to understand George Washington in his own words to understand the original Federal Republic, along with Jefferson, which, of course, I also have a class on reading Jefferson as well. So a lot of great stuff on McClanahan Academy. Over 20 classes there for purchase. And those classes keep this podcast free of charge. You can also... Of course, support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You throw a few pennies my way. Also, going to Spotify for podcasters. You can do that as well. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so people know you love it. Share it around on social media. Give that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm. And send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right. Well, let's talk about the 1619 Project. This is something I've addressed before. In fact... I've said that the 1619 Project is just the other side of the, of the same coin of, say, the 1776 Commission Report. They're the same thing. They both believe in the proposition nation. They both believe that the United States was a Lincolnian creation, right? So it's, um, you know, Lincoln wasn't around, of course, at the founding, but Lincoln's position on the founding was the real founding. It's just that the 1619 Project never believes the United States lived up to that. Whereas the 1776 Commission report would say the United States did live up to it. It's just that they want the proposition nation to stop at a certain time period, right? So we got there, but then we're going to go no further. And of course, you just can't do that. And these are things that I've mentioned on this podcast many, many times. But the question is, the 1619 Project is such bad history, and a lot of people say it is, right? I mean, it's not just people on the right. You've got individuals on the left who also say it's bad history. There's a lot of problems with it whether it could be the research, whether it could be the positions that they take. I mean, take your pick of all kinds of things. There could be issues with the 1619 Project. Why don't more historians speak out against it? What's the problem? If something comes out and it's bad history, we don't see this problem, say, with the 1776 Commission Report. It came out and everybody piled on. It was terrible. This is terrible history. But yet 1619, which has many of the same problems, oh, that, that, that's good. We, we can't really say much about that. Uh, not if you're in the mainstream academy. Now, there are mainstream ac- academics who have said something about it, 
but there's a difference between them and everybody else. And I'll talk about that in this piece. In fact, this is a piece at Current. It's written by John Fee, and it's entitled Kid Gloves. Kid Gloves. And he asks the question, if 1619 is bad history, why won't more historians say so? Why don't more historians speak out against 1619? Well, this is an issue that I'm going to address this week in a couple of different ways. One is with this piece. Another is with uh, this uh, discussion of historical preservation, historic preservation, historic preservation communities. And then we'll also talk about Calhoun this week. We got some of that and some other things too. So, But I wanted to start with this particular essay this week because I think it gets to the heart of what's going on in the historical profession and what's going on writ large with history across the United States. You can't say things are bad because there's going to be repercussions because of the political climate, because history has become politicized in every way imaginable. We are facing history wars. Now, it's not new, and I've talked about this before too, that history wars are, some, are part of the United States, are part of the fabric of the U.S. What is the meaning of the founding? What is the meaning of the ancient constitutions of Great Britain? What are the meaning of these things? What's the meaning of the British Constitution? You could go back to the 18th century, and there was discussion about that. Moving forward, what's the meaning of the Constitution itself? And, of course, in that founding period, you had Mercy Otis Warren write her very famous history of the United States where she bashed the Federalists and, and she said these people are not continuing the American tradition. Right? So what is the meaning of that? Is it the spirit of 76 and 98 or is it something else? So history wars have always been there. We've always had a conversation about the original intent of the founding. We've always had a conversation about what this period means. That's nothing new. But to actually reorient the, the history of the United States of 1619 is something entirely new. But to do it in a way that actually calls on 1776 and the Lincolnian myth is something that people miss. It's why we're doing the 1607 project at the Abbeville Institute. That will be out within the next year. There's been some postponement on some things, but it will be out. And the idea, of course, is to reorient our thinking about what is the founding. What does it actually mean? When I mean, when do we start talking about America? What time? And what people are we talking about? 1619 is not that. Now, of course, the 1619 people would say, yeah, Virginia is the most important thing. It's important because of slavery. But Virginia is more important for many other reasons. But I want to get into this piece because there are some serious questions in this, in this piece that uh, I think that historians need to take uh, and, and look at themselves critically, right? I mean, what are we doing? And if the profession really is about trying to get some things right and understanding the past, understanding the past, not using it as a tool for activism or a tool for an agenda, well, then what is that? You see, history can be used for those things. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a useful past. People have known this about history for centuries, right? Going all the way back to the to the Roman Empire, when you had Roman historians like Livy charged with writing a history of Rome that would be much more glowing, because that would help keep the empire together. You got to have a past, or you even go back to Pericles and his. Funeral oration, which I have talked about on this podcast, by the way, where 
Pericles was trying to use the past to encourage people to do something in the present. There's always a reflection on ancestral customs and people of the past. This is something that really comes out of the, of the Western tradition uh, in the way we think about it. Now, other, other cultures, of course, do this too, but relying on a patrimony. And since the United States is a byproduct of Western civilization, that's what we're talking about here. We know, I mean, I'm fully, I'm fully aware that other cultures do these things. There's always this reverence for the past, but there is a historical consciousness in America and the Western world. We've come, become much more interested in it in the modern era. That reliance on the past and using the past in a way that would bind the present to the past, and at least we think about tradition and customs and all. Now, in some cases, the idea is to use history to reject the past. And that's what 1619 is trying to do in a lot of ways. They're trying to reject what they say is the true history of America with and using the ideology of America to say we never lived up to that. It's still relying on the Lincoln myth. They're two sides of the same coin. All right, so let me get into this, though. So this, again, is John Fee. He says, Historian John Neem's recent review of a book on American myths is getting some attention on social media. In case you missed it, the Western Washington University historian had the courage to wonder, in print, if left-leaning politics is damaging the historical profession. Well, of course it is. Left-leaning politics has already destroyed the historical profession. So, Johann Neem is saying something out loud, in print, that won't get you tenure. And essentially, that's what, that's what Fee is going to say. Academic historians like to believe that they are speaking truth to conservatives who want to change the way the discipline of history is taught and practiced. But when it comes to speaking truth, Neem says, perhaps the truth is that we are afraid to do so when it endangers our reputations or politics. Yeah. I mean, look, there is there are people starting to say, well, maybe we've gone a little too far on this stuff. We're not allowing for enough conversation. There's not enough discourse in this. There aren't enough people saying things that are contrary to the establishment. Well, that's always going to be the case. There was a piece that Clyde Wilson wrote years ago, and it talks about his time early years at University of South Carolina when he thought he was going to get a job in an academic department, and they were going to have robust conversations about history, and what he realizes is that none of that happens. In fact, all these people want to do is hire people that are, that are more dim-witted than they are because it makes them look better. You see, the whole point of a history department is not to hire people that are really good, usually. It's to hire people that are really bad, who don't publish like you, who aren't as smart as you but also who think like you because then what happens is if you publish if you if you hire these people that don't work like you but yet they agree with you it makes you look better because you do all the work you become the star and they're subordinate so it's a dumbing down so to speak in the history profession the real stars don't usually get hired or i mean they do eventually but there's always this undercurrent of well we don't want to be shown up by these people and the history profession is very thin-skinned, and there's a lot of, frankly, dorks in it who don't really want to have anyone challenge them in any way. But 
Uh, when somebody comes out and dares say something, well, then the pile-on begins because they circle the wagons and say, no, 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 we're not talking politics. We're just talking the truth. All right, this is that Kevin Cruz book, uh, the, the book in question, um, which is a joke. Uh, the book is an absolute joke. Uh, the title of the book is Myth America. And um, I haven't reviewed it on this website or this podcast because I'm not going to even take my time to do it. But it's an absolute travesty that this book has even gotten any kind of publicity. But it's going to because it's got all the right people in it. It's got all the right uh, backing for it. It's got all the big publications talking about it because the real threat to America, according to this book, is right-wingers and right-wing history. And all of these things, all these myths, like the Lost Cause myth. In fact, most of the book, <laughs> if you could boil this down to what they're really worried about, is the Lost Cause myth. That's what it comes down to. Like that has dominated America uh, in a way that in the last 20 years, that, I mean, we don't get rid of this. We're doomed. It's just a joke. So Fee says the last, or Fee, I'm sorry, Fee says the last person to make a public argument like this was University of Wisconsin historian James Sweet, the president at the time of the American Historical Association. You may recall recall that the Twitter mob and much of the historical profession called for his head. Yeah, I talked about that piece on this podcast. Neem has his supporters. Stanford scholar Sam Weinberg, whose work has had more of an impact on the way history is taught in K-12 schools and the work of all of Neem's Twitter critics combined, tweeted, quote, A must-read, jo- Johan Neem is emerging as one of the most inclus- incisive, I'm sorry, and thoughtful commentators on the contemporary history curriculum. Brave, too. Neem also has his critics, and some of them, at least, should be commended for taking him seriously. The central question driving Neem's piece is this. Why are academic historians quick to point out historical myths emanating from the right, but tend to ignore or at least downplay historical myths propagated by those on the left? Why is that, I wonder? Well, because they're not myths to them. They're not myths at all. You see, only those on the right have these myths. On the left, we just tell the truth. I've said this on this show before. When I was in graduate school, uh, the chair of the department at the time asked a question about politics and why is it that most historians are left-wing. And his answer to his own question was because they read history, you see. And I said, well, it's the exact opposite of that. The reason that a lot of conservatives, because they read history too. And what they see are a bunch of little petty tyrants running around on the left, which is true. So, you have uh, two different perspectives here. But his point was he read history and you see only left-wingers tell the truth when it comes to history. Right-wingers don't tell the truth. As I've said, 1619, 1776, two sides of the same coin. Fee is actually getting it. Johann Neem is actually getting it. They're both ridiculous projects. Though he has much to say about Kevin Cruz's and Julian uh, Zellier's book, Myth America, he also addresses the historical profession's response to Nicole Hannah-Jones' 1619 project, A New Origin Story. 
After reading the American Historical Review's forum on the book, Neem concludes, it is unusual for historians to be so gentle. <laughs> to be so gentle. Why? You can't say these things that are bad about this book because that would make you <gasps> bad words. I mean, you can't do this because these people are tearing down the right people. So even if their history is stupid, even if it's bad, even if it's based on a false premise, well, you can't do that. Now, you see, those on the left wouldn't agree it's based on a pro false premise. They wouldn't see it as a false premise that we have the proposition nation because those on the left and the right agree on that fundamentally. The real issue is that did we ever live up to it? That's what it comes down to. But the whole problem is the premise, you see. The premise is the issue, not the conclusion. The premise is the issue. For example, Cornell University historian Sandra Green, a contributor to the forum, said that the 1619 project contains flaws, factual errors, and distortions of the historical record, but was still important. Yeah. Even though the history is junk, it's important. Why is it important? Because it's activism, you see. It's activism. Anything that's activism from the left is important, regardless of whether they get anything right or not. It doesn't matter. It's activism, you see. So we have to push this. I imagine that Green would have a very different opinion of a book filled with flaws, errors, and distortions that did not line up with her political sensibilities. Her kid gloves can only be explained by politics. As Neem writes, quote, one not need deny slavery's and racism historical significance to ask whether historians should defend public narratives that simply that simplify to the point of distortion. Yeah, one should ask that question. You know, it's remarkable, and a colleague of mine, I've talked about this, how after Eugene Genovese's death, all this stuff comes out. Because you see, Genovese was a giant. And if the 1619 Project had come out when Genovese was still alive, he would have crushed it. It wouldn't even have seen the light of day. He's dead, and here you have this garbage. He'd have crushed it. Now, of course, we've had some heavyweights say some things about it. But not too many junior faculty members. Not too many people are willing to stand up to it, basically, who don't have tenure or who are trying to get jobs. Why? Because it's kind of like uh, the climate scientists. They know where the money is. They know how to get jobs and get hired and get grants. It's to be on that side of climate change, man-made climate change, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, how, that's what you do. You go in that direction. How do you get jobs? Well, you support garbage like the 1619 Project. That's how you get jobs. Instead of just saying, you know, that thing's pretty awful and we shouldn't even be talking about it. No, that's not what we do. Compare the Histor American Historical Review Forum on the 1619 Project, or at least Neem's take on it, of which I agree, and this is what... Fee is saying, to David North and Thomas McAman's edited collection, The New York Times 1619 Project and the Racialist Falsification of History. Those who have followed the debates over the 1619 Project since it first appeared in the New York Times magazine in 2019 know that the Trotskyist World Socialist website published several convincing takedowns of it written by prominent historians, such as Victoria Bynum, James McPherson, James Oakes, Richard uh, Carradine and Claiborne Carson, or Claiborne Carson, excuse me, North's and Mackaman's book collects these interviews and articles into one volume. In his birth of the Trotskyites book, Princeton historian Sean Valence says, quote, 
This volume vindicates W.B. Du Bois's condemnation of propaganda disguised as history. In another blurb, civil rights movement historian David Chappell chided his fellow academics for failing to hold the New York Times accountable for its falsehoods, even as the once that once distinguished paper began to hype its false mythology as a prefab curriculum for unsuspecting public schools. For Chapel, the 1619 Project enabled the Trump administration's equal and opposite mythology, 1776, to occupy the only alternative space in the broad public view of our mass-mediated world. End quote. Fee says, full disclosure, I also blurbed, the, blurbed this New York Times 1619 project and the racialist falsification of history, though I failed to muster Chapel's courage or his prophetic voice. So what has Chapel said? Well, what's happened here is we got this crash 1619, which produces other trash 1776. They're both bad. Well, I agree. They are both bad. They're awful. This is what got... Michael Anton all hot and bothered against at me when I wrote this in Chronicles Magazine a couple of years ago. Because I called the 1776 Commission report stupid. Bad history. It's awful. Well, I mean, that's what these other people are saying. But you see, you can't say that. There's, there's conservative red meat, and if you don't go with the conservative red meat, then you know, you're, you're not in the club. And the same thing with the 1619 Project. If you don't go with the leftist red meat, you're not in the club. Why are we doing that? Well, for a reason. If you don't go along, if you're, a, if you're an establishment historian, you don't go along with 1619, well, you're not going to get a job, and you're not going to get tenure, and you're not going to get published. All these other people have nothing to lose. If you're James McPherson, who's going to deny you anything? Or James Oakes? These people aren't going to have any face any repercussions. First of all, they're old. Second of all, they're, they've been in the profession for years and nobody's going to say anything about them. But what happens if you're, you know, some new PhD and you don't go along with the line? And I'm going to talk about this week, that this week, in fact, tomorrow, on the effort to remove Confederate monuments and who's driving that on the Naming Commission and who he is. I'll talk about that. And of course, we'll look at that also with historic preservation and how Hypocritical all of this is. Sophie says, It seems like the Trotskyites may, mis may understand the vocation of the historian better than many of the historians who contributed to the American Historical Reviews Forum. Historian John Haas put it well in the comments section of this post, quote, The most depressing thing to me is the assumption that scholars should trim their statements in accordance with how they read the power dynamics of the moment. That's not what scholars do. Scholarship cannot muzzle itself with any such consideration, or it becomes just another cheerleader. This is true. We know what did that? The left. This has been going on since I was an undergraduate, even before that, right? It's going on for 50 years. The left did this. The left stifled any kind of debate or public discourse or real scholarship. How is it someone who is, a, say, a real Calhoun scholar? How can they not say anything about Calhoun that would be positive? Well, because you're going to be persona non grata anywhere unless you go on outside the academy. But, I mean, I'll talk about that with two Calhoun scholars. Even the most recent biography of John C. Calhoun, the Elder Book, which doesn't say... Uh, 
I mean, it actually has some positive things to say about Calhoun in it. The conclusion is completely anti-Calhoun because you can't conclude anything else. Because if you do, well, that's bad for your academic career. Why were the original critics of the 1619 Project nearly all senior historians, either with tenure or retired? Because few younger scholars or graduate students are willing to risk their careers to call out a bad narrative on the history of race in America. There's the answer. They're all senior faculty. They're all tenured or retired. Nobody's going to say anything if you're a graduate student or a junior faculty member without tenure. Because you're worried about your career. And what does that say about the left? Because you see, conservatives don't control history departments anymore, except for a few select schools. So what does that say about the left? It says that they're just a bunch of closed-minded jerks. That's all it says. That won't hire anybody that disagrees with them. Because they're all thin-skinned. I should say jerks is a wrong word. Dorks is a better word. Let's take, Neem, let's take Neem's argument a step further. Is it possible for a young historian to land a job at a history department in American University if they're vocal about the many problems with the 1619 Project? Well, of course, no. It's not possible at all. This is how much power these people have. And again, I'll go back to... I was in graduate school. remember a professor there. He showed a, a, a chart of Reconstruction and how before Eric Foner's book on Reconstruction... There was a wide diversity of opinions on Reconstruction. Once Foner puts out his book, it narrows down to basically nothing. And you can't get anything done in Reconstruction. Foner controlled so many of the journals and so many things. You couldn't get anything done on Reconstruction unless you agreed with Foner. In other words, he limited debate. There was no more debate. And you hear, you hear graduate students all the time, debate's settled. These are a bunch of little idiots running around who... You know, been in graduate school. Debate's settled. <laughs> See, I've read these books. Debate's settled. It's settled. Because that's what they're told. Because if they don't, if they don't regurgitate that stupid line, they're not going to get a job. See, these people are, are just a bunch of morons. They don't even realize it. But that's what they've done. He says, or to go even further, what if it came out during a job interview with a history department that a candidate is pro-life or believes that marriage should be between a man and a woman or opposes anti-racist politics because it breaks up the solidarity of the working class. I'm not talking here about a MAGA Republican, a defender of Moms for Liberty, a Christian nationalist, a vaccine denier, or a champion of the January 6th insurrectionists. I mean, fee, uh, <laughs> that, that line was unnecessary. What's wrong with that person getting a job? What's wrong with that person getting a job in a history department? Because, on the other hand, would you say, I'm not talking here about you know, some uh, you know, Antifa activist, a defender of you know, Planned Parenthood, whatever it is. Just take, take the exact opposite of this. That person would get a job. What's wrong with somebody who has supposedly uh, you know, radical views on the right or a radical libertarian, whatever it is, from getting a job? Shouldn't be anything wrong with that either. If he says, the person I have in mind is a promising scholar, well, somebody, so he's saying, if you have these other beliefs, you can't be a promising scholar. Of course you can. So Fee is actually doing something here that he's complaining about in that one sentence, which is the really ridiculous thing about this piece. 
He shouldn't have, that, that's, that's a sentence that shouldn't even have been there. He should have just said, I'm talking about a promising scholar, an effective teacher, and a co uh, congenial colleague committed to intellectual pluralism in the academy. Why can this person who's a MAGA Republican not be congenial or a defender of moms for liberty? Can they not be congenial? Can a Christian nationalist not be congenial? A vaccine denier, can they not be congenial? A lot of people think that R.F. Kennedy Jr. is congenial. Are these people not congenial? You see, here's the issue. Fee complains about narrowing thought and then does the exact same thing he complains about. Because what he's done is just said that anybody that has these beliefs cannot be this. Well, how do you know that? I don't know that. I would say there's people that I know that are Christian nationalists, that are Vaccine deniers. These are congenial people. They're not, they're not bad people. They just have opinions that other people don't like. They're not bad people. They just think these things. And they're interested in intellectual pluralism. They're interested in discussion. They're interested in those things. Does that make them not congenial? It's just because you think, oh, well, these people don't want to talk about anything. They're just going to shut everything down. That's not true. And I can say there's people on the left that are also congenial that I know. Not as many, but there are some. And they just like to talk about things, and that's good. He says, I am sure the American Historical Association will welcome such a person as a member, but would they really have a chance to compete for a job in a school other than the Hillsdale College, Ron DeSantis' new college, Florida, the University of Austin, Liberty University, or a conservative evangelical or Catholic institution? Well, of course not. They wouldn't, unless they hit it all. And that's what you had to do when you were in graduate school. If you were someone on the right, you had to hide it. You had to kind of go into a field where you thought people were going to kind of leave you alone or do something. You had to hide who you were. And then hope you get tenure, and then you can say what you want. That was the, the danger. Fee says, There is no moral equivalence between good scholarship and some of the stuff churned out by right-wing activists who use the past to promote a political agenda. That doesn't mean the historical profession should benefit, couldn't benefit from a good look in the mirror and say, as Neem recently tweeted, take seriously your obligation to be honest brokers. So if he uh, is betraying himself here, yeah, we need to be honest brokers, but don't be a Christian nationalist and trying to get a job. <laughs> Just ridiculous. I would actually say that uh, someone, the way that he describes this person, if you're in line with, say, the Proposition Nation, or you say all the right things about Reconstruction, or uh, the war, you say all the, you're going to get a job. You'd get a job. And in fact, uh, places like Princeton will promote the fact that they've hired Alan Gelzo, for example. Well, look, we hired Alan Gelzo. See, we're conservative. We, we, don't, we don't hate conservatives. We hired Alan Gelzo. We put some of these people on faculty, we get one, whereas the whole department's the other way, but we get one. And of course, Gelzo doesn't fundamentally disagree with Kevin Cruz on just about anything, except for politics. Gelzo would be in complete agreement with Kevin Cruz's book on the lost cause and reconstruction and everything else. He would, he would support it all because, you see, that's the holy grail in everything. This is what you, everybody has to understand. They agree on the proposition nation. 
They might disagree on how effectively, effectively it was done, but they fundamentally agree on the Holy Grail in history, and that's the war and what the war meant. They agree on that. And so if you agree on that, everything else is just shades of gray. You can, you can disagree in minor points here or there, but you agree on the fundamentals. Abraham Lincoln's great. Reconstruction was necessary, didn't go far enough. And Southerners are bad. If you can agree on those things, you can get along with some things in the profession. But if you say anything otherwise, that's where you become persona non grata. That's where you're really not going to get a job. So you see, even this fee piece has got some problems with it. He's pointing out the right things. And the sweet, thing, the sweet piece was the same way that I talked about earlier. But this is the issue in the modern historical profession. It is the real problem. There is no real academic discourse anymore because even when they start talking about it, it still is very narrow in where you can dissent. That's the issue. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.